your salvation. The most crucial element of your Christian walk is God's firstness in your life. Because when God is first, everything else falls into place. Now, that is not to say that if, you know, you put God first, you'll never have any problems, you'll never have any trouble or tribulation. You know, Jesus promised, he said, in this world, in this life, you're going to have tribulation. But then he said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so it's not that you never have trouble or tribulations when you put God first, but when he is first, the same overcoming power of Jesus extends to you and with your trials, your tribulations, your circumstances, if God is first in your life, you will ultimately overcome them all. In fact, whatever you're dealing with this morning, if it's got you in the corner, if you're in a trial or a tribulation and you feel beat down by it, you will overcome that thing because God is first in your life. All right, I want to look at two scriptures, and they're going to help us set up the third that we're going to look at. Look at. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now, all these things, he's talking about all the things that were written down in the Old Testament. He says, now all these things happened to them. Them who? The Old Testament saints. All these things happened to them as examples. Examples to what? Examples to us. All these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, go to Romans 15, verse 14, and consider what this scripture says. He said, he's talking about admonishment. And he is saying, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, all also able to admonish one another. Now, what he had been teaching them before he says this to them, when he says, you're, I know you're full of all knowledge, what he had been teaching to them was the Old Testament. And basically, when you put those two scriptures together, he says, when, when New Testament believers, people that are saved and uh, walking with Christ as their Savior, when they read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of examples, pictures, and lessons that really, in another place, he said, serve as a schoolmaster or a teaching tool for us. And... When we read the Old Testament, it admonishes us concerning the principles of God. So now, with those two scriptures in mind that we just read, I want you to go to the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 13, and we're going to get in the weeds for a little bit. Exodus chapter uh, weeds, not weed. <laughs> Somebody thought I said we were going to get into some weed for a little bit, and To the weeds. Y'all don't think I can hear you, but I can up here. <laughs> Say crazy stuff to me while I preach. What's wrong with you? All right. Exodus 13, verse 1. Let's look at it. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate. The word consecrate means to set apart. 
means uh, to, to put something over in a special, uh, special classification. He said, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Everybody say, all the firstborn. All right. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine, says the Lord, right? So he's saying of everything that gives birth in your life, he's telling this to the children of Israel, whether it's animals or whether it's your children, uh, the children that you have that you give birth to, everything that gives birth, I want you to consecrate, set apart, mark the firstborn because the firstborn is mine. Now look at Exodus 12 or Exodus 13, verse 12 through 13. Exodus 12 says, you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The males shall be the Lord's. Verse 13, but every firstborn of a donkey, everybody say a donkey. Old King James has another word for that. It's interesting. Every firstborn of a donkey, everybody say a donkey. Watch this. You shall redeem. The word redeem means to buy back. Every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. So what is God saying? God's saying, I want the firstborn of everything that opens the womb. And um, if, it's, if it's a clean animal, uh, certain, you know, like sheep, goats, uh, cows, oxen, those kind of things, an animal that would be ceremonial clean for sacrifice, he said, I want you to offer me the firstborn because the first is mine. If it's an unclean animal, like a donkey, it's still my donkey, the firstborn, but you can't sacrifice a donkey because they're not acceptable. They're unclean. So bring a lamb in its place and redeem that donkey. Like if you want to use that donkey, that's my donkey. But if you want to use it on your farm or whatever, when it grows up, then bring a lamb to redeem its life. And if you're not going to redeem that firstborn donkey, break its neck. Now, breaking the neck in the Old Testament and even in antiquity and even back up into Western days, that was a form and a sign of judgment to break the neck. Uh, when they used to hang people in the Wild West, you know, the sheriff, you've seen all the movies, the sheriff would hang people. And it was a form of judgment. And it represents even all the way back into antiquity, judgment to break the neck. So God said with the donkey, if you're not going to redeem it with the lamb, break the neck. Now, Remember, everything written down in the Old Testament, Paul told us in Corinthians, it was for an example to us, meaning every Old Testament law, even the obscure ones, even the ones we don't understand, carry a principle, not just the mechanics of the law itself, but carry a principle. So what's the principle of this strange sounding law? The principle is all the firstborn belong to God. Every first thing. Every first thing had a commandment attached. For the crops, he said, the first fruits belong to the Lord. For their animals, he said, the firstborn, the firstborn males belong to the Lord. Even the children, he said, your firstborn belong 
to me. And then God gave them two categories. He said, since they belong to me, you can do one of two things. Sacrifice it or redeem it. Okay, those are the only two things you can do with the firstborn. Sacrifice it or redeem it. Well, how were they supposed to know what animals had to be sacrificed, what animals had to be redeemed, what they could redeem, what they had to sacrifice? Clean animals, like I said before, clean animals uh, in the sacrifice system usually correspond to something you would eat. So, uh, you know, you've, you've seen lamb on the menu at restaurants and you've seen steaks and from cattle and all that kind of stuff. You've even seen oxtails and all kind of other things like that. You've probably never seen fried donkey. sauteed camel with a butternut squash au jus, you know. You, 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 you. So, so God is talking about all of their animals, but he gives them two icons to put them in classifications, okay? So he exemplifies the clean animals with the sheep, the lamb, okay? He exemplifies the unclean animals with the donkey. So he said, if it's a lamb, it's got to be sacrificed, if it's a clean animal, it's got to be sacrificed. If it's an unclean animal and you want to keep it, bring a lamb to redeem it. And then he said, all of your children you shall redeem with a lamb. And the reason why he commanded them to redeem their children with a lamb is because God has never accepted human sacrifice on altars. So all the firstborn belong to God. That's the principle. So in summary, just, just you know, before we get out of the weeds here, just in summary... Of all of their flocks, herds, the clean animal, the firstborn, had to be sacrificed. The firstborn of unclean animals had to be redeemed by a clean animal. Now, even though this is Old Testament, and even though we don't do this anymore, um, nobody brought a lamb today to church. At least I haven't seen any. And we're certainly not going to be killing any lambs up here at the altar or breaking any donkey's necks. But there's a principle that carries through with great strength. And the principle, if you really think about it and read this, gives beautiful imagery of our salvation. In the text, he said, if you have a donkey, unclean animal, donkey, you got to redeem it with a lamb. Now, pastor, what, what does all these donkeys and lambs and firstborn and breaking necks and all that kind of stuff have to do with me here today. What you think about this? When you were born, the state of your nature and the state of your spiritual condition, was it clean or unclean? Let me ask you this way, since some of you don't know if you were unclean or not. Did anybody have to teach you how to lie? Did anybody have to teach you how to get angry or violent? Did, in, did you ever go to a seminar on stealing? No, it just came out of you because by nature, when you were born, you were unclean. Now let me ask you this. When Jesus was born, was he clean or unclean? He was clean. Jesus was clean. We were unclean. So according to God's principle, something unclean, you and I, must be redeemed by something clean. Now, this lamb and donkey thing gets real beautiful in the New Testament. 
if you saw the pictures of the old. Because when Jesus first started his ministry, John the Baptist, who was the licensed, established national prophet of the day, points him out and says, behold, the Messiah. No, behold, the great prophet and teacher. Behold, no, no. he says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But you know what's so cool? Towards the end of Jesus' ministry, a week before he died, he told his disciples, hey, I want you all go get me something. Go get me a donkey. And on Palm Sunday, the lamb got on top of a donkey. The clean got on top of the unclean and started marching towards his sacrificial death. And all of a sudden, in Exodus 13, we see God saying, all the firstborn are mine. And if you have something unclean that you want to have any use for it, you either got to break its neck in judgment or you got to redeem it with something clean. And all of a sudden, the lessons, the examples from the Old Testament begin to scream out into New Testament biblical truth that God was abiding by his own principle that he established in Exodus 13 when he sent Jesus. We always talk about the lamb, but, but think about what John the Baptist said. The lamb of God. So in other words, God had something unclean, you and I, that he wanted to keep. And instead of breaking our necks in judgment, God went and got himself a lamb. Jesus Christ that could be sacrificed for our redemption. Now, Jesus is God's lamb. So the firstborn, that was one of the categories, the firstborn. Well, Jesus is the firstborn of God. Romans 8, 29 calls Jesus the firstborn. Also, in that text we read, first fruits had to be given to God. Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 23 says Jesus was the first fruits. But more than that, God knew we were all unclean. And God wanted to preserve us. And he wanted to keep us. And he wanted to, de to redeem us. So, you, you may have never, I want you to think about this. You may have never thought of it this way. But if we're going by the principles in Exodus 13 that God wrote, if God's abiding by his own principles, then Jesus was spent as a redemptive offering by God the Father. Jesus was a price, a sacrifice God paid. Okay. Jesus was the lamb of God. And then you could even say Jesus was God's tithe. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. Preacher, that's a stretch. Why would you call Jesus God's tithe? Well, simply because I told you last week the tithe is the redemptive portion that redeems the whole. The 10% is given. The 90% is redeemed, covered, and blessed. 
The other thing about the tithe, it's not just 10% of the whole. It's the first 10% of the whole. So when God gave Jesus, he gave him first. Think about this. When you tithe, the way it's supposed to work is you're not supposed to see how everything goes with the 90% and see whether or not you have enough and if the bills work out and if your budget works out and then come in and give God the 10%. That's not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to give God the first 10%. You're giving in hope that the rest with the 90 is going to work out. And that's what the New Testament said God did. He gave Jesus in hope. In other words, God didn't wait to see if we were going to grow up, clean up, straighten up. God didn't wait to see if we were going to do the right thing and ever progress and learn how to be holy and learn how to be righteous. God didn't wait to see if we would accept him and eventually turn from our wicked ways. God gave Jesus first. Look at Romans. Look at Romans. 5, 8. This is the most, one of the most beautiful scriptures in the Bible, if not the most beautiful scripture. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, it didn't even look good for the 90%. It didn't even look like it was going to work out. But while we were still in our sinful state, God gave his best and he gave it first. That's why you can say Jesus was God's tithe. Now, all through the scripture, God has always been very clear with his people about the principle. Remember, it's not about the mechanics. Jesus fulfilled the mechanics of the Old Testament law. We don't, we don't have to fulfill that anymore. But the principles live on and remain. And God has always been clear with his people regarding first things, that the first fruits belong to God. The first animals belong to God. During the Passover, do you remember the 10th plague that was the plague that forced Pharaoh to ultimately let the people go? God said, I'm coming down with the death angel. He's going to visit every house. Do you know who the death angel was coming for? The firstborn of man and beast in every home in Egypt. Why was it the firstborn? Because that has always been God's principle. He said, it's mine anyway. You'll either give it and sacrifice it to me or I'll take it one way or the other. What's mine is mine. So he told the Hebrews, if you want to escape this, take a lamb. Kill it and put its blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And when the death angel passes over where he sees the blood, he will pass over you and spare the firstborn. Why? Because it was redeemed with the life of that lamb. This principle is threaded through the depth and the fundamentals of our faith. So the first fruits, the first animals, the Passover, and even in the scripture, the first 10% of our income, our tithe belongs to God. Now, why is this so important? If you hear anything in this series, hear this. First things prioritize God and acknowledge that he is first in our lives. First things and your obedience concerning them reveal God standing in your heart what you deeply, most deeply believe about God. And when it comes to what we bring to God, God has always been very specific about what he expects. 
because our obedience to his instructions concerning what we bring him reveals our heart toward him. It is not what you say that reveals your heart. I knew you'd be shouting on this. It is not what you say that reveals your heart. It is always what you do. Go with me to Genesis 4, 2 through 7. It says, then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? Look at verse 7 very closely. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And most of you know what ended up happening in that situation with Cain and Abel. Now, I was sitting through a theology class, and someone asked the professor, why did God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's? There's all kind of, in theology, there's all kind of theories on this. Some, you know, say it's because uh, the vegetables didn't have blood in it, and Abel was bringing a sacrifice that had blood in it, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. That's a theory. Uh, There's a whole bunch of other theories. But I submit to you that the answer to why God accepted and respected Abel and did not accept or respect Cain in their offerings, the answer is hidden in verse 7. Look at verse 7 again. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now, what does that imply? I can't do well according to you if you haven't already told me what well means. So God would not have said to Cain, if you do well, won't you be accepted? If God had not previously instructed these boys what he wanted them to bring. So obviously, regardless of the blood issue or regardless of any other issues, Abel brought God what God had clearly specified he wanted, which was the firstborn. Cain brought God what Cain thought God ought to be happy with. And a lot of people still do that today. And I want to tell you before you give, if you're going to give, make sure your giving lines up with God's commandments, because just because you give it doesn't mean he accepts it. And if he doesn't accept it, you know, you're not going to be blessed by your giving. You know, I'm not going to come bless you. You know, I don't have the power to bless you. If you want God to bless you and accept you. You have to give in pertaining to your giving. You know, I already dealt with this. has nothing to do with your salvation. I dealt with that last week. If you want your giving to be blessed, you have to give according to what has been commanded in the scripture. Abel did that and he was blessed. And what was it that Abel brought? Abel brought the first. 
He brought the firstborn of his flock. And then God said to Cain, look, if you do well, you'll be accepted. Then he says, if you do not do well, then he ties this thing here. Sin lies at the door. I started thinking about that. What, what does my giving, either if I'm giving according to your commandments in the scripture or I'm not, what does that have to do with sin lying at the door? And the Lord revealed to me through his word, because I was asking, what's the door? What door is sin lying at? At my front door? At my bedroom door? What, what door is sin lying at? And the door is the door of your heart. It's the door of your heart. Because obedience to God's instructions concerning giving will never be as much of a financial thing as it is a, a heart thing. So what he's telling Cain, Cain, if you won't obey me concerning something if you consider it in the realm of the whole, as trivial as giving according to what I told you, if you won't obey me in that, then sin's lying at the door. He didn't say sin has gotten in and, and penetrated your whole life. He's saying sin's lying at the door. In other words, you're in a dangerous position because you've heard my word concerning this. And for some reason, you keep arguing with it, rationalizing it, and choosing to bring me what you think I ought to be happy with. And the root of that has nothing to do with finances. The root of that is rebellion and thinking you know better. And if you trace it all the way down, you go all the way deep with it, you'll find out it's a problem, Cain, in your heart. Now... I hope you paid attention because I haven't taught this in five years. I haven't used my preaching time to teach this in five years. Who knows when I'll have time to teach it again. The Lord keeps me on a pretty fast pace with how I present the word to you. And, and I'm ready to get back to preaching and prophesying and declaring. I got a lot of things to say. But before we move forward any further in this year, I wanted to establish you in the, fundament, in the fundamental heart system, the fundamental health, that other than your salvation, when you, when you step other than your salvation, this is the most important thing you will do as a Christian, is bring your finances into alignment with God's instruction concerning the tithe and put God first. Now, Malachi 3.10, I gave you three last week. I gave you three of the things that he said. I, I'll go through them quickly. Number one, God said, I will open a channel between you and I. Remember in Malachi 3, he said, when you bring the tithe, I'll open the windows of heaven. He's really saying, I'll open up a channel between you and I. Number two, I told you this last week, I will release what has been withheld. Number three, I will cause you to have excess in other words, you won't have room enough to receive it. Now look at Malachi 3, 11 and 12. I want to give you some more. <coughs> Malachi 3, 11 and 12, please. God says to the tither, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. 
so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Next verse. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. One translation says your vine will not cast the figs before it's time in the field. Next verse. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I want to clarify those things with a few more points. God is saying through verse 11, when he says, I'll rebuke the devourer, I will tell every enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy in your life to stop, back up. This one belongs to me. I'll tell every enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. I'll tell every enemy that would seek to defraud you. I'll tell every enemy that would seek to steal your identity and run up credit in your name. I'll tell every enemy that would seek to vandalize your property. I'll tell every enemy that would seek to cause you financial harm and loss. I will tell that enemy, stop, back up. This one is mine. You're going to do it, go do it to somebody else. You're going to defraud somebody. You're going to con somebody. Go do it to somebody else. Stop. Back up. This one belongs to me. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. I don't think we get this. So much of salvation has already happened, you know? Jesus already has died. His blood already has been shed. All of those things have already happened. The Holy Spirit has already been sent down from heaven. There, there's, there's not a whole lot of things in our theology and in our Christian faith that are active things that God is announcing every single day, that God is getting up off his throne and shouting every single day. For the most part, God is at, re is at rest, except when it comes to the tither. Anytime God sees a devourer coming towards your finances, God God promised himself that I will. I'm not going to send an angel. I'm not going to have an emissary from heaven do it. I myself will tell the devourer, stop, back up. This one and their stuff belongs to. I love that promise right there. That's an amazing promise. I've lived that promise. Some of you have lived that promise. You got things happening in your life that make no natural sense. You got God covering you in areas where you can't even explain it. It's nothing but the fulfillment of this truth and this promise. Then, then number five, I will ensure that your timing is perfect won't let your vine cast or drop those figs before time. I've learned in life it's not enough to do the right thing. Because if you do the right thing at the wrong time, your right motives and right efforts can be wasted. You got to do the right thing, but it's got to be at the right. And the scripture says it is not within a man to direct his own steps. We need God to set the time of our lives. Some of you are facing a decision and a crucial component of the decision is timing. You know, you need God to set the time. Some of you have been asking me to pray about your, you know, you're thinking about making an investment or starting a business or whatever. And with those kind of things, the most crucial element is time. I mean, you can have the best idea in the world, but if it's not at the right so God says to the tither, 
I will make sure, I will make sure, I will ensure that your timing is perfect. God is going to set the time for your life this year, for your money this year, for your investments, for your increase, for your business, for your contracts, for your sales, for the things you are going to do. God is going to set the time. And as a tither, you need to pull out this scripture and remind heaven what God said. God, I have come into alignment with your word concerning finances. And God, I have this issue with timing. I give it to you and I receive right now in the name of Jesus perfect timing for this issue. God, if it's not the right time, block it. If it is the right time, don't let anything in the world stop it. He said, I'll make you... I'll make your timing perfect. Then number six, I will restore your reputation. He tells Israel, who was a broken down, busted, disgusted nation at the time, that all nations were going to look at them and call them blessed. Now, I don't know if there's anybody in here that ever went through a period of your life that really set you back as far as your credit report. Don't feel bad raising your hand. I had $3 million of debt on me when my son had his medical issues. People look at me and start, they just start running. I'd go and apply for something. They'd just get up from the desk and run out of the room. I was so dangerous. But God says to the tither, no matter what you've done to your reputation, oh, hallelujah. And incidentally, it doesn't just mean your financial reputation. I mean, whatever you've done to your reputation, whatever you have done to mess up your good name, whatever you have done to make people not be able to rely on or trust you. God said, when you honor me in this principle, he said, you, he said, all nations will call you blessed or I will restore your reputation. I'll make you credible again. Ooh, hallelujah. I will make you credible again. You won't be seen as a risk anymore because now I'm backing you. I'll make you credible again. And then finally, the last one, I will make your possessions delightful. And the scripture that corresponds with that is he said, yours, in Malachi 3, verse 12, he said, yours shall be a delightful land. In other words, what you possess, I'll make it delightful. Yours shall be a delightful car. Yours shall be a delightful house. Yours shall be a delightful business. Yours shall be delightful possessions. See, a whole lot of people have a lot of stuff, but they don't delight in it. They don't even like the stuff they got, you know, so they go and get more stuff. You know, God said, I will make your possessions delightful. I'll put a supernatural substance on your stuff and make it delightful. When people walk into it, they'll say, this is delightful. You know, because of a, a supernatural response from the creator of the universe toward people who have this heart position toward him that God, no matter what else is going on, you 
are first in my life. Give the Lord a praise. Stand to your feet. I would like the ushers, if they can, to please start serving you Holy Communion. We're going to share that today. The reason I wanted to share communion is because even though we were talking about first things and tithing in the sermon today, I got stuck on that part about a clean lamb dying for an unclean donkey. And let me tell you, there's a whole lot of times in my life I've been a donkey, and I mean the other word the Old Testament says. Old King James. A lot of times I've been a donkey. Now I'm not going to ask you, but I feel like there's a few people in here you, you recognize you've been a donkey. That went over real big, but, but if you're honest, you've been a donkey. Unclean. Not worthy. And it amazes me that Jesus, the firstborn of God, the firstfruits of God, the Lamb of God, would be spent, have his life spent as an offering from God. Because God wanted to cover us. And Jesus was obedient to that. He didn't, he didn't necessarily want to. He prayed to God the Father in the garden and he said, if there is any other way. Listen at that. If there is any other way other than the way you prescribed that redemption had to happen. What was Jesus talking about? He's going back to Exodus 13. If there's any other way to redeem a donkey than sacrificing the firstborn lamb, if there's any other way other than giving in the way you have prescribed it, if there's any other way, let it be. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was spent so that no matter what you have done, no matter what you're guilty of, you can be cleansed and accepted, redeemed, bought back as the purchase of God, as the ownership of God. Your life, your soul, if you have accepted Jesus, your life, your soul is in the hands, the ownership of God. And I want you to bow your heads. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray this prayer with me because Romans 10 says that when we call on the name of Jesus in faith, and we confess out loud with our mouth that we believe he died for our sins and that he rose again, that God will save us, that he will take the blood that Jesus shed and apply it to our hearts by our faith. Forgive us of our sins and give us eternal life. I want you to pray with me, Lord Jesus. I believe you are who the gospel says you are. I believe you died on the cross for my sin for my uncleanness and I believe you rose on the third day by the power of the Father and I believe that in your name salvation is given so I declare Jesus name in faith today be Lord of my life fill me with your spirit Forgive my sins and lead me in Jesus' name. When Jesus was having the Last Supper with his disciples, he took out bread. If you would peel off the top of your cup. 
this with a microphone. There we go, I got it. You got it now. You take that bread. Now hold it in your hand. What I like to do, Jesus looked at them and he told them, he said, I want you to take this. This is my body. And then he broke it. And he said, it's broken for you. He was revealing to them that he was a sacrificial lamb that's body would have to be given for their redemption. So I like to put a little crack in this. I like to break it in my hands and I like to envision him on the cross with his body being sacrificed and broken for me. And I like to realize every time I do this that it was my sin, not my neighbor's, not the person standing in front of me or behind me. It was what I did that Jesus died for. That salvation is personal. And Lord, as we hold what represents your body today and prepare to take it into ourselves like we have taken you into our hearts by faith. Lord, I thank you for your sacrifice that the lamb rode in on a donkey, that the clean got on top of the unclean and covered it. Thank you for covering this donkey. Thank you for covering this unclean mess with your body. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Let's take it together. Now, we talked a lot about the New Testament, but this is, he said, it's the New Testament in my blood. This ratifies what we've talked about. This is the seal and signature of what we talked about. And in this church, when we take communion together, we always lift up the cup over our heads as a sign, a symbol, and an announcement to heaven and earth that everything in our lives from the top of our head to the sole of our feet is covered by the blood of Jesus. That we understand there was a price paid for us that we don't belong to ourselves. The blood is over my head. We're just like that donkey that was underneath the lamb, that donkey that was underneath Jesus, that unclean thing that was underneath that clean thing. I only, only reason I'm strong today is I'm underneath something that has all power. The only reason I'm forgiven today is not that I'm perfect, but I'm underneath something that has all power. The blood that Jesus shed. We pleaded over your lives from the top of your head. We pray you would stay up under, up under, up under, that the unclean thing would stay up under the blood. Did you notice when Jesus got on top of the donkey and he was covering him? Did you notice that de the donkey never stopped being a donkey? It's just that it was covered by the lamb. It never stopped being unclean. It's just that it was covered by something that was clean. I wish I had a witness in the house. I wish I had some people that got faith in Jesus, but you still got a few issues. You are not saved by how well you can clean up your life. You are saved because you are up under the covering of the blood and you're clean, clean, clean. Up under the blood. Let's take it together. Lift up your hands and give the Lord a praise if you can. Grace, glorious grace. Grace, glorious grace. 
the blessing of the Lord be upon you today. I pray that the truths, the examples, the pictures from God's word would settle deep in your heart and begin to water your life with an ever-increasing faith. I pray you would put God first and receive the benefits, the strength, but also the beauty of the relationship that comes from living your life under the creed. For me, it is God first. We bless you today in the name of Jesus. We call you blessed. We speak peace into your lives and into your homes. We speak healing over your bodies and we declare the goodness of God over you in the name of Jesus Christ. God bless you. If you have an offering you would like to give, you can bring it to the front. We love you so much. We will see you next Sunday as I take us further into our series, Fundamental Health. We're going to talk.